I'm so glad you could join us today, and I'm very excited about this teaching that I'm about to bring you on, Will the Church Go Through the Tribulation? Um, I don't know if you caught my teaching a couple of weeks ago on eight things that will happen on the day of the rapture, but you're going to be hearing a lot more of that kind of teaching from me for the next few weeks. I just really feel this strong drive from the Holy Spirit to teach on the rapture and the tribulation. I think, first of all, because of the climate we're in, and people are just asking this question, you know, will the church go through the tribulation? I think the other reason is because there's a lot of false narratives out there, a lot of conspiracy theories that just will never play out. And people are buying into those because they're wanting to know the truth. Unfortunately, most of those are not truth and most of those will not happen. It's basically driven by fear and hypothesis and uh, possibility as opposed to probabilities. And what you're going to find is most of these conspiracies that you've bought into will never happen. But there is something that will happen, and that is what God says. So there's this agenda going on on the earth where everyone's trying to be the lead dog and and give the lead story. And so you've got this evil agenda going on on the earth where people are basically trying to get their narrative uh, as the front-running narrative because they know they can persuade people. Well, on the other side of reality is God. And in God's side of reality, there is a narrative that has already been written. It's called prophecy. And prophecy is going to happen regardless of what is happening on the world or in the world. So I think it's very important that we understand what the Bible says about the times, the days and times that we're living in. Now, one of the reasons I feel compelled to teach on the rapture is because there's a lot of views on the rapture. So I want to start by taking you on a little journey through a timeline and tell you what most people agree upon and then where the differences of those are. So if you'll follow me back here, this is a very simple timeline. And basically what I want to show you is that... um, There are several things that almost everybody in Christendom agrees on. The first thing that they agree on is that we're in the church age. The second thing that they all agree on is this, that Jesus is coming again. So everyone agrees that there is a second coming, with exception to the amillennialist who do believe in a second coming, but they don't believe in a tribulation or a millennial reign of Christ. But most of Christendom believes this. They believe that there is a rapture, whether that's a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, a pre-wrath rapture, or a post-tribulation rapture. Most of them believe that there is a type of rapture, and then there is the, there's the tribulation period Then there's the millennial reign of Christ, the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. Now, the difference is going to be in each of these theories is when does the rapture take place? So, for me, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, and I'm going to show you that in my teaching today. Uh, Will the church go through the tribulation? I think the answer to that is no, we will not. And I hope to prove that to you through the Word of God. So I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I believe that the church is going to be raptured and the tribulation is going to begin at the end of the tribulation. You're going to see the second coming of Christ. So keep in mind where most people get confused is when they confuse second coming passages with rapture passages because they do kind of sound alike 
but they're two completely separate events. So keep in mind that in this teaching, I'm going to be dealing with the pre-tribulation rapture. So everyone agrees that there is a tribulation for the most part. Everyone agrees that there is a millennial reign. And everyone in Christianity for the most part believes that there is the second coming of Christ. With the exception of preterist or amillennialist or like reformed Calvinist, they have their own uh, views, which I personally believe are unfounded, but they have their own views um, on eschatology. So keeping in mind, will the church go through the tribulation? Well, I think one of the biggest questions that you're going to get, or maybe not questions, but one of the biggest challenges that people like me, those of us who believe in pre-tribulation rapture get, is this claim that we believe in something that other people are calling escapism theology. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word escapism basically is defined as the tendency to seek distraction and relief from unpleasant reality. So I would just want to escape it. That's where we kind of get the word amusement from. Amusement is escapism. Ah, if you break it down the Greek, ah, not, muse, think. So when we amuse ourselves, we don't think. So we watch TV to kind of escape our realities. We read a book and get lost in a book, we say. We're really not lost, but we say we're lost in a book because that distraction keeps us from dealing with things right in front of us. And so escapism basically is not a theological term at all. It is a psychological term that basically says that we're trying to escape something that is a known reality. Well, those who attack uh, rapture theology with this kind of uh, escapism claim basically say that the person who started escapism theology was Billy Graham, uh, the great evangelist, because he was preaching that he was inviting people to accept Christ in order to go to heaven and escape hell. So they kind of attribute this uh, escapism idea to Billy Graham's altar calls. Well, the honest truth is escapism isn't a theology at all. It's a twisted notion from a psychological theory that's been adapted by those who don't believe in the rapture to try to insult or disclaim or create some type of disclaimer for those of us who believe in the rapture of the church. Here's the reality of escapism theology. Um, The reality is that if you choose to believe in escapism, it's already too late. Uh, the, the, according to the Center of Study for Global Christianity, the GS uh, or the CSGC, you can look them up. There have already been 900,000 Christians that have been martyred in the last decade, equating to 90,000 Christians every year being martyred. Do you know what that equates to? One Christian is martyred every six minutes, and you want to choose to believe in escapism? What have we escaped? We have not escaped martyrdom. We've not escaped persecution. We've not escaped trial and tribulation. So that is a false claim to say that Christians that believe in the rapture are trying to escape punishment and, and, a, and a time of tribulation. No, that's not the, that's not the, the belief system at all. There's no escaping persecution. There's no escaping tribulation. There's no escaping martyrdom. As a matter of fact, 
It is estimated by Christianity Today that over 70 million Christians have been martyred since the time of Christ. So what have we escaped? So escapism is a false claim. It's a made-up attack on people who believe in rapture theology. And it's not even a theology at all. It's a psychological term that people have twisted to try to make a point for those of us who believe that we will not endure the wrath of God. Now, the seven years of tribulation are called a tribulation, but you have to understand that it's more than that. The seven years of tribulation are called several things. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Well, what is the time of Jacob's trouble? Well, you have two seven-year periods where he had to work for Leah and had to work for Rachel, his wife. And so in that time, um, he underwent seven years and a second set of seven years. And we may talk about that a little bit later. So this is a seven-year period of time where the wrath of God is coming to the earth. So to say that we are escaping tribulation is a false claim. But to say that we will be delivered from the wrath of God poured out on this earth because we have believed in Jesus Christ is a correct assumption. So let's talk about wrath. So we're not talking about escaping problems and trouble. We're talking about a designated seven-year period where the wrath of God is being poured out on the earth to judge the enemies of Israel and to bring Israel back to God. It is not a time of judging the church. It is a time of judging the nations. So the Revelation chapter 6 verses uh, 15 and 17 actually talk about uh, this period of time. And it's, it's called the wrath of the Lamb. So you almost see two periods. This is the reason that on this chart behind you, you're going to see a mid-tribulation theory and a pre-wrath theory. Because they're going to believe, they're going to say that even though uh, we have to go through the wrath of the Lamb, we do not have to go through the wrath of God. So they're going to break the tribulation up into two sections. And one, some people call this tribulation and then the great tribulation. Well, there are two distinctions going on here. You have the wrath of the Lamb that's being played out for three and a half years. And then you have the wrath of God that is also being, being played out. And so these, these are two times where the wrath of the Lamb is a time of an escalation of natural disasters. Things that we've already seen. But when you get into the second half, the wrath of God, you're going to see unnatural disasters. You're going to see things that we've never seen. For instance, in the wrath of the Lamb, the first half of the tribulation, you're going to see earthquakes. You're going to see tsunamis. You're going to see um, darkness on the earth. You're going to see plagues on the earth, sicknesses. These are things we've already seen. We've already seen what a pandemic can do to, to the planet. Well, you're going to see more of the same. So you're going to see natural things that are building up to the unnatural things. But when you get into the wrath of God, where Revelation 15 and 1 starts talking about the wrath of God and the plagues that God is bringing on the earth, now you're getting into unnatural things. You're going to get into things like blood falling from the sky. We've never seen that before. You're going to get into things like um, meteors uh, hitting the oceans and poisoning the water of the ocean and killing the, the, uh, the, the uh, sea life. You're going to see um, at times where a third 
of the animals in the sea die at the same time because of a meteor that hits the ocean. Unnatural things. Well, all of this seven-year period is to bring Israel back to God. It's to bring the nations of the world under judgment that have, um, that have been against God all of their life. It's not just the nations of Israel. It's, the, it's the, the nations that have been against God. I just want to say thank you to all of our ministry partners who help us take the gospel around the world and train pastors and leaders around the world. Because of you, we have been able to do so much for the kingdom and expand the kingdom of God. Uh, I was able to train over 5,000 church planters just in the country of India alone. We've worked all through Africa as well as Europe. Uh, every year I go to Romania and train pastors and we've trained hundreds of pastors there in, in Romania. We've graduated over 3,000 pastors from programs, certificate programs, just in Central America. Uh, our teams and our, the young men and women that I've taken on the field with me, numerous uh, young ministers who I just want to give them experience and, and uh, help them to get their feet wet in ministry. We have gone around the world spreading the gospel, and none of this is possible without you. I just want to say thank you for your continued support, whether it's a one-time donation of any size or whether it is a, a monthly donation that you've decided to partner with us uh, monthly. I just want to say thank you for that. And for those of you that are looking for ways to give to this ministry, because it is a good seed to sow in and we're doing things around the world, here's a screen that would tell you some easy ways that you can give to this ministry. But once again, I just say thank you from the bottom of my heart and from all of those lives that you are changing. It is my honor to be your ambassador to the world. So when the prophets begin to look into the end of days, they begin to see something called the day of the Lord. Um, it's called other things. It's called the day of God's vengeance. It's called the wrath of God, as we've already pointed out. And so this is not just a time of tribulation. It's not just a time of trouble. It's not just a time of, um, of escalated, you know, issues on this earth that we've already seen, like volcanoes and, and flooding and disease and things that we've already seen. It's much, much more than that. It is a distinct seven-year period where we start off with natural disasters and end up with supernatural disasters on the earth for a particular reason, to judge the earth because of its apostasy. Okay, so we, we begin by hearing it called things like the day of God's vengeance, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4, um, <clears throat> calls it the day of God's vengeance. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 8 calls it the day of God's vengeance. It's called the day of God's judgment. Romans 2 and 5 calls it the day of God's judgment. Revelation 14 and 7 calls it the day of God's judgment. But we've already pointed out that in the book of Revelation, you can read this in chapter 6, chapter 11, chapter 14, chapter 16, Many times in the book of Revelation where it's called the day of God's wrath. So all of this is the season that we're talking about. Now we're told that we can be counted worthy to escape the wrath that is to come. 
<clears throat> Let me read to you from Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36. So listen to this. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of life. That and that day, speaking of the day of the wrath of God, that day, notice in your Bible that word day is capitalized, it's this season he's talking about, will come upon you unexpectedly. What? If I'm carousing and I'm staying drunk and I'm burdened down with the cares of life and I'm living a, a, a lewd life, then he says that this day is going to catch you unexpectedly. Listen to verse th- uh, 35. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell in, on the face of the whole earth. But he says in verse 36, But watch therefore and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all of these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So he's telling us that there is a group of people, and this, if that was the only verse, I realized that you could you could say, well, that means you got killed or you died early in the process. I understand that. But that is one of many, many verses in the Bible that we're going to talk about in this teaching that talk about escaping the wrath of God that's coming to the earth. See, see, the wrath of God is reserved for God's enemies. That's what Nahum uh, chapter 1 verse 2 tells us. The wrath of God is not for the church. We're not God's enemy It's reserved for God's enemies, Nahum 1 and 2. Um, Romans 1 and 18 says the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodly. Well, the church is not the ungodly. We're called the righteousness of Christ, the body of Christ. So the wrath of God is not against us, the body of Christ. That's what Romans 1 and 18 is telling us. It also says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9 that the righteousness is not appointed to wrath, or the righteous, rather, is not appointed to wrath. So we have not been appointed to wrath. Uh, So there's several other scriptures. I want to just go over these with you quickly that will hopefully help you to understand that the church is not assigned to this season of wrath of going into this great tribulation. Uh, Isaiah 13 and 9 says, The day of the Lord comes and he shall destroy sinners out of it. He's not talking about destroying the righteous. He's going to destroy sinners. Nahum 1 and 2 says, Vengeance on his adversaries on the day of the Lord, uh, when he reserves wrath for his enemies. Matthew 3 and 7 says, Who has warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come. Uh, Romans 1 and 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteous men. Ephesians 5 and 6 says, The wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Now, once again, none of this is talking about the church receiving or coming under the judgment of the wrath of God. No, wrath is for the unrighteous. It is for the ungodly. It is for the sinner. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul was trying to teach us in Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Listen to what he says. But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So he's telling us that when the righteous judgment of God is revealed, that we've been, that sinners have been storing up inside of themselves 
um, this, this judgment that is going to be revealed on the day of God's wrath. Now he goes on to talk about in these five verses, he talks about the kinds of people that, that this wrath is coming to. He, he's, he talks about people who have lived immoral lives and, and people who are indignant that this wrath is coming with tribulation and anguish on every soul who does evil. Uh, he says to the Jews first and then also to the Greek. But then he says, but to glory and honor and peace to everyone who works out what is good to the Jew first and to the Greek. So he's telling us that even though this wrath is coming, there is a way of escaping the wrath. Now, one of the reasons that I believe, one of the most uh, firm reasons that I believe that the church will not go through the tribulation period is because of the New Testament teaching about escaping the wrath of God. Again, not escapism, but it's the word the Bible uses to mean that we will be delivered from the wrath of God. Listen to Luke chapter 21, verse 36. Watch ye therefore... And pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So that is the reason that we believe in the Bema judgment, or I believe in the Bema judgment seat of Christ. That when we are raptured, we're actually going to receive our rewards. We're standing before the Son of Man. Now that's different from the great white throne judgment at the very end of time when God judges the sinners. No, the saints are not judged at the great white throne judgment. The saints are judged or rewarded after the rapture. There is no judgment because our sins have been forgiven. When we are raptured and the dead in Christ are risen with us in the rapture scene, then we stand before the beam of judgment seat of Christ. Now, to give you an idea of what Bema means and where this word comes from, it comes from the Olympics. It is when you have these three tiers and you have your, 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 your bronze medalists and your silver medalists and your gold medalists and you're standing upon these tiers and then they would take this, um, they would take this crown and place it upon your head. Most of the time in the Greek Olympics, this would be, and the Roman and Greek Olympics, this would be like a... Um, a, a, a ring, or I'm trying to think of a crown made of leaves. Perhaps you've seen those before on TV or in a picture. I, I don't recall exactly what those are called, but it's like a, a crown that is placed upon someone's head showing that they are the winner. Now, what this Bema means is that we will stand before Christ. And that's why it's called the beam of judgment. But it's not really a judgment. It's to say first, second, third place. So it, it denotes a time that we would stand before God and be rewarded for our labors on this earth. I mean, the Bible says even if you give a cup of cold water in his name, you're rewarded. If, you've win, if you win souls to the Lord, you're rewarded. All the work of your hand is rewarded. That is the time that we stand before God or before Christ and we receive our rewards. So that is what Luke 21 and 36 is trying to tell us. That we're going to stand before the Son of Man and escape the things that are coming to pass on the earth. Well, that's not the only scripture, obviously. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10, listen to this scripture. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, he's not talking about our sins. 
He's talking about delivering us from the wrath to come. He didn't, he could have said delivered us from hell and that would have been accurate, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about believing in Christ delivers you from the wrath of God, a very specific term that is coming to the earth. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10 says this, For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Now listen to that. That's a very, very precise scripture. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we awake or sleep, we should live together with Him. There you go. Even if, you've, if, even if you're alive, or if you are asleep, which means dead. Again, pointing toward the rapture. It's in that same book, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, that he tells us the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So in this passage, he points that out again. <clears throat> Whether we are asleep or awake, we shall live together with Him. Romans 5 and 9 says, much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Again, this is not one teaching. It's not one verse. It is a constant teaching all through the Bible that the wrath of God has not come to judge the church, but the wrath of God has come to judge the enemies of God, the unrighteous people, those who have who, those who have never believed in Him, the, those who have uh, been infidels in the kingdom, who have never chosen to believe in God, that's what the wrath is coming for. He says in Ephesians 5 and 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things uh, that are coming, the wrath of God is coming upon children of disobedience. So he's telling you, don't be deceived with vain words, empty words. So don't let people tell you, entice you, um, tempt you. Don't let people pull you into their sin saying, you know, nothing's going to happen. God loves everybody. Of course, you know, the love of God extends to everybody, but God hates sin. And they will try to convince you that you can live in sin and still be okay with God. No, God does love you, even if you're living in sin. But you must also show your love to God by living for Him. If Jesus died for you, He wants you to live for Him. See, there's a big difference in saying, um, I love God and I'm serving God. Because love has conditions and one of the conditions with God is that we no longer enslave ourselves to a life of sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Sin is the thing that separates us from God. So he says, don't let people deceive you with vain words and trick you, basically, into believing you're okay. Because you may have to endure the wrath of God that is coming upon the children of of disobedience. So I'm going to close this particular teaching, but I'm going to I'm going to pick back up. So please join me next week because I'm going to pick back up on part two of this. And in this next one, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about people in the Bible like Noah and Rahab and others who all who all escaped 
the wrath of God that was coming on this earth. So I hope to see you next week. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And last of all, I hope to see you in the rapture if I don't see you before then.